thinking. I'm really discipling my kids right now, one on one, in the way maybe you're thinking. But uh, discipleship's a lot more than just maybe how you see things. Anyway, it was a challenging question for him and for me, and we both mutually, and it really good. It was a good time of conversation, and it just made me think. As like I was look, also looking at this text and thinking about this community of believers. And see, just a, a little bit of background, and I know we've, we've shared, I think my wife and I have shared a little bit on this text, but just to recap a little bit of what happened, what we shared, was that this community of believers, um, the Thessalonians, they were planted literally in three weeks, we could say, a community that heard the gospel, answered the call, answered to the message, and were now walking with God. But because of the persecution Paul had faced in Philippi, and now he was also facing here with the Thessalonians, he was uh, taken away, maybe by the Jews or others who were very uh, hesitant and, and even opposing his ministry. Paul left them after about three weeks. He lives this very young uh, community. And he, in his letter, all of the Thessalonians, he, you hear this heart of, I hope they're well, I hope, you know, but also you hear the answer. So he leaves them after three weeks, sends his, his, his uh, co-worker Timothy to check and review, let me know what's going on. He's asking them, Timothy, give me a, a report. And from that report, we get the first letter of Thessalonians. And the, and the report and the reply that Paul gives to this report is always quite optimistic. Knowing that you're doing well, that you are full of the joy of the Spirit, even in persecution, knowing that they had persevered, knowing that they're not given up their call, and even when they were facing hardships, they were true. And there were some, some exhortations to keep pure and to not forget about the resurrection of the dead, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, because they were starting to feel discouraged as some of their members or some of their community had passed away. So Paul brings them in this text. And the chapter that I here want to share, he, he says something to me stood out was that he wanted them to remember always to remember I want you to know and if you look in that text from verse 1 to 12 he says to them many times I want you to know I want you to remember I want you to remember when you were you were also witnesses to what I said witnesses to what I I had done and it wasn't on his own he was with Silvanus he was with Timothy so there was a, a, a group work in this leadership to this small community and so I see these parallels and also and I think about us as a community and us as a church and how we also have that. Now. There's a, you know, there's this question, isn't it? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And I think all of us, in one way or another, can, I think in here in this room today, we could say yes. And I think the second question might be a little bit of a challenge on this, the one that I felt challenged, and it's, uh, but are you discipling others? And discipling others is to help people to follow Jesus, deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. And this can look in, it can be in many ways and forms. Sometimes in, around a table in a meal, and we, we share testimonies, share from the Word of God. Um, here in the community, for me, it's been sometimes times talking with Elsie and Olashina, and as they're a little bit ahead of me in parenting and other, and also in marriage, there are things that I want to glean from them and learn. And in their own way, they're discipling also to us. There's times when I sit with Rod and Karen, 
and ask them questions about things that I want to understand in Scripture or, or, or their walk with God and their freedom in Christ, their, their understanding of spiritual matters. So it's not just that they deliberately or not recognize it, but I also deliberately ask questions because I want to understand things. There's lots of things I still do not know. I still want to understand. Or I want to be able to see how do they understand marriage or how do they understand uh, the, the, the life of Christ in this situation when people hurt you, when people let go or abandon you or reject you or suffering, which I think is one of the key things I, I always glean from Pastor Rod. So here, the thought I kind of want to, to bring to you is that Discipleship, discipling others, is, is that it's advanced. Uh, this, sorry, discipling to help others. Discipling that is the advancing members in the message remembers the conduct and remembers the, uh, the motive. So here it is: discipling that is advancing remembers the message, remembers the conduct, and remembers the motive. These three things kind of stand out in this text. Paul wanted them to remember why you're doing this. Remember the way I was with you. Remember that it's a message that you live and speak. So discipleship that is advancing remembers the message. It's the gospel. And Paul was being, in this text, being discredited. He was, he was standing and saying, okay, I want you to remember why I, I did all of this. I want you to remember, and he says it in verse 2, 4, 8, and 9, that it's the gospel of God. It's this message that we live for. And it's been revealed to him by God. But his challenge was with them that the Judaizers, or those who are mixing the faith and works together, were no longer allowing them to just have this simple faith, but trying to get them to, to do things in their own strength. And no longer in the faith, but by merit, so they can be qualified or think that they're qualified for heaven. But we understand that the gospel, that it, we are saved from God's judgment by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, resulting in that creating those good works. So he wants them to remember the message. What did you hear from me? What did you hear from us when we were preaching and, and remembering that? As it says in the word, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the gospel is the good news. It promises to forgive all our sins in Christ. But it's so, sometimes our mind can easily forget these things or move on to something else, another subject or another point. And even in this community of the Thessalonians and Thessalonica, they must have had the, the persecution, the challenges of facing financial or emotional and family, and easily to forget why this started, losing, in a sense, that first love in a, in a certain way. Jesus explained in his, in his gospel and in his message the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee who was self-righteous, would come before the Lord and pray, and I have been a good man, I have fasted, I have done well, I, have, I am giving unto others, or I am, you know, I am more morally correct, or conduct is more uh, recognizable than the others who are sinners, not like this tax collector. 
while Jesus says this story that the tax collector comes also to the presence of God with a different attitude. And he cries out for mercy. God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And Jesus said that the tax collector went home justified, whereas the Pharisee did not. See, because of the blood of Jesus, we are able to cry out and find forgiveness and mercy. And it is a message, it is free. And this is what is hard because Paul and his missionaries and the companions were seeing an opposition to this message. If something is by grace, if something is free, if something is as wonderful as this message, why would someone oppose it? Why would someone go against a message that offers freedom? Well, I think the answer is in that self-righteous Pharisee. Because people have a problem with the good news when it confronts their pride, when it confronts their boasting in their good deeds. Paul would say, I do not boast in anything, but in Christ and in his death and resurrection and on the cross. He recognized, and he would have called himself a chief of sinners. He would recognize his weakness. But he would also see the greatness of the message of, of the gospel. When we hear the good news, it reveals to us that our hearts are wicked and sinful. When we allow the Spirit of God through the Word of God to speak to our lives, it shows us what areas are needing to be transformed and changed. It shows us how weak we are in, before a holy and righteous God and how desperately we need Him and how wonderful when we, our eyes are open and this blindness is taken away from us that we can see how wonderful the work of our Savior is who takes away our sin. Paul and his friends were mistreated in Philippi for preaching the gospel. It, it was confronting. It was causing a ruckus. It was causing people to, to either go against it or in other cases to come and receive. It's the same sun that hardens the clay also melts the ice. And it's different hearts have different reactions to the message. Sometimes I remember as a youth minister, I would have mums come to me and say, my son needs the gospel. He needs to change. He needs to know Jesus. And sometimes they would expect us, like if we had a, a magical wand, that we would be able to change their hearts over a weekend or on a youth retreat and bring them back holy and pure. But there's a work. <laughs> and that was always the challenge with my wife when we were training young people to say to the parents, this is a, a process and a work that they need to hear. And, and, and they need to see it also modeled in your lives. They need to hear the message from you as well. And I'm glad because a lot of times we, we did see lives change. We did see people come to Christ with lots of prayer, with lots of tears, and lots of pain as well. He speaks about boldly speaking the message. That there was this boldness that, that it says in, in the text there so that they could preach it with that courage. And he's saying to you, you heard the message. Remember the message that I... If the discipleship is going to advance in you, remember the message. Remember the God, God's servant in Christ Jesus and this message that you can also preach. The discipleship advances because we remember the message. The gospel of God. There is sin, there is judgment, but there is a Savior in Christ Jesus. 
But discipleship that advances also remembers the conduct. And that was another thing that here in this message Paul says to them, I want you to remember how we behaved among you, how our conduct, how we were with you. And so here he begins to also speak about his love towards them as a community. He says in verse 7 and 8, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Loving others is never easy. There has to be a willingness, a sacrifice of yourself, your time, and even to be inconvenienced. And, and I tell you, that's the same with loving our children. It's a lot of sacrifice. Loving a church as well. Our, our, our ministers, our, our pastors, our elders, our leaders, loving a church is, is sacrifice. I see it in that conduct in the life of Rod and Karen. That willingness to give their time, that willingness to to be inconvenienced, that willingness to sacrifice of themselves to be here. But with that love comes growth. And growth in many ways. But we see here that Paul has this deep, and you see the rich language. He talks about them being, uh, you know, dear to him. So there, were, there were people that he genuinely loved. He had a deep feeling for this community. And he was communicating this through his letter. And you see it in different parts. He was showing that even, and saying to them, remember that when I was with you, how we were there night and day, we were spending time with you, we were part of the community. His love was evident. It wasn't just something he was saying, it was something that he was living. And we see that he also shows himself to be vulnerable, showing that it wasn't something superficial, not just saying the, in words, but it was openly living, being truthful. And he says this, before God and others. He knew, and that's when we understand that our love for God is seen in our love for others. And that also is important that we love ourselves as God loves us. And to understand that love, that relationship, works its way out. And asking the Spirit of God to work that out. In one of Jesus' prayers, He says, Father, the same love that the Father has for the Son be in, in them and be in us. Or it is in them or is shown to us. And then he speaks about the joy being complete. And the Spirit of God is the one that gives us joy and gives us that strength. And I think that's important that we see this because even though they, as a community, had so many difficulties and challenges and problems because of the time that they were living, they had a joy. They genuinely, there was something joyous that the testimony was going out to other communities saying, this is a joyous community. They have lost money. They have lost even family, they have lost so many things, but instead of being miserable, depressed, or discouraged, what we see, what I'm seeing on their, in their actions and behavior is a joy. Where does that come from? How can you have joy? How can you have joy in, in, a, in a moment of, of pain and grief? It is possible. It is something from the Spirit of God who is able to make you see the goodness in, in, in even in dark and difficult places. But that takes on that discipleship that is advancing, remembers the message, it remembers the conduct. <clears throat> but the third thing, discipleship that is advancing, remembers the motive, to please God alone. 
And that's what he says in this text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to, be, to please God who tests our hearts. And he also says in verse 6, nor did we seek glory from people. So he was living Godward focus. He was living towards what, how do we glorify God here? How do we bring glory to God now? And I'm glad that we are also people who are led by the Spirit of God. Now we are a, a community of prayer. That we have understood that there are things that can occur that can only happen when we are bringing it before God and, bringing, and asking Him to be glorified in the situation. How can, we, how can we go through this pandemic in a way that brings glory to God? Well, as we pray as a community and come together, trusting in the Lord and believing for protection and believing for God to take care of His people and, his, and to bring solutions and answers and to bring clarity to our government, we're glorifying God in that way. And this doesn't mean being insensitive. When we bring glory to God and putting God first, it doesn't mean that we don't recognize that, you know, going back to the second point, you know, it is about loving one another. It is about, you know, putting others before ourselves. But our actions must always bring glory to God. And, and that's good leadership, good mentors, good spiritual fathers will not just say the things you want to hear, but they'll challenge you and say things that open you up and even make you uncomfortable. But you know it's with love because it's, it, it, you walk away almost thinking, I, I need to change, I need to, I need to work that out. How can I do that? Or why is that true? So words that are led by the Spirit of God to bring the glory of God, it isn't being insensitive, but trusting that God is also working in the hearts to disciple and to bring glory. But there are things here in this text that shows us that we please God by enduring trials and being steadfast in, in the joy of the Lord. Not the, as a community, they learned not to complain, but continually joyful as they were preaching the gospel and hearing. When we endure trials and hardships with the joy of the Lord, this pleases God, and He will use this to help others to grow in Christ. We please God through studying His Word, searching for truth. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2.3, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity. So his, his God's Word is true. And he wanted them to understand this. That they were to honor God with, by taking care of the message they received, not mixing it with what they had in their tradition and in their past and in their religious ways. As it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 5, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. We are living in a time when the truth of God's Word will be criticized and attacked. But we have to have that conviction and assurance and we need to let that sink in our hearts that His Word 
endures forever. There will, the gospel has been attacked. The word of God has been criticized. But it's never broken. It's never stopped it. If anything, it continues and perseveres. And we pray for a spiritual awakening. We pray for renewal again in this land. That once again, the word of God will be put at the forefront. We please God through our moral integrity. And Paul says, our appeal in 1 Thessalonians 2.3, our appeal does not spring from impurity. And this is about thought level. Guarding our hearts. What comes in and what we let sit, take a seat within our emotions and our will and our heart. We're not allowing those things to, to, to penetrate. Not allowing what other the, the messages are to take away our attention from what God says. And it is hard. We, we, we live in a time where there's so much given to advertisement and given to creating people to capture their attention. That's why a lot of social media has that kind of, they call it clickbait. It's a, a way to grab people and, and to, to sink them in into, into their message and their thread. And that way to continuously hammer in something, whether it's to buy something or to, to pursue something or to entice them into something and to take that bait. But here, Paul says that we, we never did anything out of impure. And this is protecting our hearts. We please God by financial integrity. Paul speaks here in, second, in here First Thessalonians, in that same text, nor with pretext for greed. He was never in it for the money. And I guess this is one of those things, that, that the criticism to his ministry. They were saying the only reason Paul is doing this, the only reason he's planting this church is because he wants the money. He, he's, he's doing it for selfish ambition. And he would say to them, especially in this letter, you know, you saw how we worked day and night. You saw how we labored with our hands. You know how much we wanted to be with you. Not to be a burden, he said to them. Not to cause them to be motivated by, by greed or lust. And one of the ways that we kill our, our greed in our hearts is by gratitude. By thanking God for what he has given us. Learning to be happy with what God's provided. And I bring it back to my, my kids in this sense, and it's as you have teenagers, and those of you who have had that age group, it's, it's, they want something more. My friends got this. They've got the latest that. There's another thing here. How come we haven't got that? Why do they have that? And it's all of these little things pulling at, at them. And, and the toy companies and the media companies understand the pulling power of kids on parents. And it's so important, even in our discipleship with them, to say, we are grateful for the roof over our head, for the clothes that we have, and the food, and that we're always together. And bring it back to that truth. Just bring them back to what God says. Bring them back to the spiritual truth. Because it's, again, it's just so easy, the hearts just pull. And even, even as we, we, we walk in this world, there's always a competition. Who has the biggest toys? They are, you see, especially in men, as they get older, it just you know the toys have changed. It's cars or, or the, the watch or the latest gadget as they flick out the new laptop or the new smart watch or whatever. <laughs> it's the same, Lord, and I thank you for the roof over my head, the clothes that I wear, the food that I have, the wife you've given me, the children, the church that I'm in, the pastors that you've blessed me with, the community that are, are full of love. 
And that's how we kill that greed in our hearts. We please God by avoiding all deception and manipulation. Now, this is one I really like because we see in Paul, his attitude. You know, in verse 3, he says, any attempt to deceive. In verse 5 and 6, he says, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext of greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Flattering speech means pleasing people to gain an advantage. It's always manipulative. Paul was an apostle. He says it in the text, I could have used my authority as an apostle. You've seen what God was doing. You, you, could, you understood the authority that I had. No, I humbled myself to serve, to love. And I did not use my words to manipulate, to, 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 to pull you, to, to grab you. To the disciples, we need to be truthful and avoid all this all type of manipulation. And just thinking about it, the, disciple, the, the, the discipleship that is advancing remembers the message, remembers the conduct, and remembers the motive. It is about bringing glory to God. It is about living a godly character. It is about proclaiming the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. When we understand this, that we bring glory to God, we, we can begin to advance. And I, and I, I, I do, I, as I meditated on this, I understand there are things that can help promote and advance the gospel and the discipleship in our community. But there are also things that we can do that can hinder it. And we, if we want to have that effective in discipleship, we need to ask God, show us, reveal to us, and speak to us. So we can bring glory. Paul... In all of this, we see his boldness in proclaiming the gospel. We see that he wasn't relying on human abilities and powers, but anything else, but as a, as really as a pastor. And we see this, loving the people he was with, believing in them, being gentle towards them, sacrificial, serving them, godly in his conduct, together with his group. And they were witnesses. That he, they, could, they could have easily said, no, but we saw you doing this or the other. He lived with them and they were able to see no, he was living it right. And he was diligent to exhort them, to correct them when they needed it. I pray that today, in our lives also, that the Lord work into our hearts, that we have more clarity of the gospel, that we have <clears throat> the working of the Spirit in our lives to produce that godly character, to love one another, to forgive, and also to always have the Spirit of God remind us of our motives. Remind us of our calling. Remind us why He's placed us here. Remind us His vision and His purpose with us as, as, as people of God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we come before You in the name of Jesus. We thank You for the goodness that You have shown us in Your Word. <clears throat> you lifted up this community, the Thessalonian church, this community that was dearly loved by you, Lord. And you were working through them, even when Paul had left, Lord, even when the minister had gone forward, you had continued to build them up. You had continued to remind them of all that you have sown into their hearts, Lord. You are the God who's in the mission, the God who continues the work, Lord. Your word says that the good work that you start, you also complete and fulfill, Lord. And we could have that assurance, Lord. We pray. Lord, that we continue to see discipleship in our children, 
in our marriages, in our members, our elders and our deacons? Do we see discipleship growing in the new people as, as the, the seasons changing with COVID and the pandemic, Lord? Father, we pray that opportunities arise in the next season, Lord, to continue sharing the gospel and bringing people to know you and to walk with you, Lord. Father, we pray that you bring this into our lives and this truth into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.